Hey, BU community. I have some really exciting news. I was approached with an idea and I said, yes. You know, we talk about if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. This was a hell yes. So I'm really proud to tell you that I'm now a part of Supercast. So Supercast is a way for you to get more access to me more access to a deeper dive into the content we are sharing and discussing together on this amazing BU podcast, and also content that you will never ever hear in BU. So if you want to hear me talk about divorce, either what it's like to go through a divorce, what people think about and the stories they tell themselves in a marriage about divorce, where that comes from, what it feels like to actually choose divorce, because I know a lot of women are afraid to talk to other women about that, you know, because I'm someone who did make the decision to divorce. What if you don't want a divorce and your partner approaches you and says that this is what is going to happen? What does that look like? We're going to talk about divorce in there, blending families, you know, dating after divorce, especially in your 40s. Holy shit. Blending families isn't just bringing on children who you will wrap your heart around, but it's also the extended family and all that comes with that. And then the other thing that you're going to hear through Supercast that we won't talk about in BU is a deep dive into something that a lot of you have been asking me to talk about, and that is sales and marketing. I have a very strong background in sales. I started a business with no business experience as a broke nurse working three jobs and through a lot of blood, sweat and tears, painful lessons and growth, I grew that business from zero revenue to a multi-million dollar business. And that was over the course of 12 and a half years. Through Supercast, I am going to teach you how I did that, how to sell anything without feeling salesy or coming across salesy right? How to sell like a boss without feeling weird or looking like a weirdo. I'm your girl. I've got that dialed in. What happens when you're sick of the hustle and grind in business, but you still want to grow and make more money? That's what we'll talk about. So if you head over to the show notes, you will find a link to Supercast. Click on that. I will have a little bit of an intro there. And if you like what you hear, you can subscribe. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Thrilled to tell you that we have Kelly Tennant on BU Podcast today. I came across Kelly's podcast and fell in love with it and devoured it episode after episode. And I loved everything about her and her essence, her energy, and how she's showing up on this planet. And I reached out to her on Instagram and just said, hey, I don't know if there's like a formal way to do this. But would you please be on my podcast? And with no questions asked, without asking me how many followers, how many downloads, she just said, absolutely. Here's the number. Just message this person and they'll get it set up. And so the episode you're about to hear today, this sit down with Kelly is such a great example of someone who can show up as a confrontation. Remember, we've been talking in the past few episodes on what happens when you encounter a beautiful woman, a successful woman, a confident woman. Well, she's all of those things. And so she might be triggering. And and she shares some things in this interview that I'm 100% sure that there are some of you that will be turned off or triggered because of your opinion on it, about it, uh, maybe some fear around it, a judgment call. And just remember, those triggers are gifts. It's a chance to ask yourself why you're triggered. And can you openly receive someone, even if you don't have the same belief or opinion on something? So Kelly, her background is that she was one of the best athletes in the country. When she was in high school, she was sought after by the best colleges in the country and ended up playing volleyball at one of the best Division I schools. Uh, she was on the cover of Volleyball Magazine. She went on to become a sportscaster and she was hired by ESPN. So, I mean, she was covering, you know, the Dodgers and the Lakers and knew all the players and she had it all going on. I mean, she was where most people would say, I can't even dream of being. And now she is an inspiration. She is a leader. She is a coach of women. And it has nothing to do with that world that I just mentioned. In fact, it's a stark contrast to that. And in this episode, she's going to share with you what that means. Like, who is she now? And why did she leave all that behind? And 
It's such a great interview. So Kelly's the host of the Top 50 podcast, The Kelly Show, and that's K-E-L-L-I, Kelly Show, and co-founder and CEO of Soulfire Productions. In her courses and in her mentoring and in the podcast, she guides women into the juicy intersection of spiritual and sexual liberation, challenging them, us, you, me, to break free from a lineage of toxic lies and rules. And here is none other than Kelly Tennant. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Okay, here I am with the amazing Kelly Tennant, and I introduced her already before, but Kelly, I just want to say to you as we're seeing each other on Zoom and hearing each other that I'm more than grateful. I am refreshed by your just immediate yes, even though I'm okay with no, right? We know (laughs) nothing about each other. I'm just some random person who messaged you on Instagram and said, hey, I have a podcast. I love yours. I love what you're about. Would you meet my community? And you immediately said yes. And although I would have been totally fine with a no, it was so beautiful. And I'm not surprised based on listening to your podcast that you said that, but I want to say thank you for that. And I know everyone listening is just going to be so happy that you are here with us and that you're sharing yourself with us once they hear why I am so, I'm going to use the word obsessed. Um, <laughs> and I don't get obsessed with anybody, but I, I'm obsessed because this whole podcast is about being yourself, excavating the real you. And this is how you're living your life. Like, no apologies. And I love it so much. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, it's funny. I I know a lot of people who are super picky about shows they'll go on or how they respond to people. And maybe I'm just not famous enough or something. But I just remember, because I have a TV background, and when I worked in television women were always very pitted against each other. And in order to get someone to help you, it was like climbing mountains, man. And I had a few women who were 20 years older than me who took me under their wing and took such good care of me. And I always felt like I want to shift the paradigm within female relationships and supporting women because I didn't want younger girls to be scared of me or to feel like, oh, I'm not good enough or, oh, no, she mm-hmm. wouldn't help me. And so I, I've i always gone out of my way to help other people. At that time, it was younger women who were just coming up into the business. And now it's really you know colleagues and people with podcasts or businesses or whatever. Because I just really believe that we get to change the paradigm. We are the shifters. We are the leaders. And we lead by example. And I'm always so excited to connect with other people because... I mean, we've been talking for how long now? We didn't even start recording because we just... We were connecting on so many levels and that's why I do this. I think I selfishly have a podcast so I can just have conversations I want to have, (laughs) all the other stuff aside. And it fills up my soul and my heart. And I think that the more we can do this and the more we can show other women that this is the dynamic that really is possible and it doesn't take that much work, then think about how we can have female relationships moving forward and what, what we're teaching younger generations about how to connect and how to create intimacy in a non-sexual way with other people. Yes, it's so much deeper and far beyond, you know, the quotes we see on Instagram, which are great, by the way, you know, the women empowering women and lifting each other up. And I'm glad we're seeing that. But I like that you and I are showing the listeners right now that this is what it really looks like Mm -hmm. for you. And again, I still want to say, 
reserving the right to say no. Like you saying, you know, that's not going to work. That would have been okay. But just being willing to come, not knowing what you're going to get out of it, being okay with getting nothing out of it. Right. So I really appreciate you for that. Thank you. So I know your background because of listening and digesting almost every episode of your podcast so far (laughs) as in like till one in the morning and again today. So tell them quickly. I know you've shared a million times, but when you said you had a TV background, tell them about that because it is quite impressive. Thank you. Yeah. So I played volleyball at USC and I had chronic illness for about 15 years that started when I was at USC at 19. So I was bedridden for about six months and lived with a a false diagnosis for that entire time until I found the right doctor and started getting into Ayurveda and functional medicine. And throughout that time, after I graduated, I was working at ESPN and the Pac-12 network and then eventually ended up being the host and sideline reporter for the Lakers and the Dodgers. And so... Oh, by the way... Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so during that time was just dealing with a lot of chronic illness and pain and fatigue and confusion around what was going on. And I felt like my body was revolting against me, suicidal, depressed. So I've just been on this really long journey of coming back to myself and finding who I am and what it is I really want. Also a recovering people pleaser and perfectionist and control freak. So you kind of mix all that together and you have the perfect cocktail for just a shitstorm. And so I ended up leaving my TV career about three years ago, starting my podcast. And then we started our company, Soulfire Productions about a year and a half ago now. And so yeah, it's just been many iterations of who I am. But at the end of the day, just really coming back to what it is that I want, what do I desire? How can I be aligned with myself, not feeling like I need to do things to please other people or to fit in or to make sure that you like me or tap the heart button on Instagram and make me feel validated today. So yeah, it's been quite a journey. (laughs) Okay. So I want to go back to that because I was listening to an episode today. I don't remember which one it was or what it was called, but I do remember a few things about it that pertain to what you just shared. And it was about, so you were known, you played high level volleyball in college. You had a scholarship. I remember hearing that in one of the episodes, which is also pretty amazing. And, And I'm saying that for a reason, not to fluff you up, but there's a reason. And, you know, you're like, what, six one? Mm-hmm. Essentially, she looks like a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model. I mean, she really does. I'm, no, there's a reason for me saying this. You do. You. you know you do. And I heard you say on the episode today, when I was a reporter and a good, re- very good reporter, I was known as the hot girl. And you didn't say this, but I'll say it's like dismissing your real worth and looking at the outside. Now, there's we don't want to deny the outside. Because I went through that years ago, you know, when I was the hot girl. And it's like, I went through then denying that completely, embracing it and saying, okay, I'm grateful. I I do like the way I look, but that's not who I am. Mm -hmm. You said that. And then you also talked about how, and you were also known as like the top athlete, the volleyball player. And there was a point in time where you said, you know what? I'm so much more than this. And the reason I want to talk about that for a minute is because there are people my age, which I'm 49 and a half and 60 and 70 and 80 who never get to that point. They never get to the point where they say, hold on a minute, there's more to this whole story here about life, but also there's more to me. And I get that you see me this way, but that's not how I want to be seen. That's not how I see myself. And that's what I'm going to walk into. And many people, and I'm going to tell you, when I heard you just today talking about that, I was like, it's so interesting because at that time in my life, when I was in college and you're at that age, I was super, super lost, emotionally overwhelmed, et cetera, not having physical breakdown like you, but like mental and emotional. Mm-hmm. And I would have seen someone like you and said, dear God, that's everything I want. One, look at her, but two, top athlete, every, that's all I want. And you could have cashed in on both those things forever and had an amazing life, but not the life that you're going to have now. Mm-hmm. So maybe just share how in the hell do you remember, like, was there a specific moment? How did you decide that and then actually walk forward? Yeah. Thank you for that reflection. I don't know if you experienced this, but sometimes when you're so deep in your own experience, you kind of can't see everything that's happened. So it's always nice to hear someone else reflect back kind of what they hear you say and share. So thank you for that reminder. Yeah, I definitely... I mean, I did cash in on it for a long time. And... I think it still gives me advantages, right? When you're an attractive girl, you get to do certain things and get away with certain things that other people don't. And that's unfortunate because 
none of us, I mean, I think we choose our bodies, but on a conscious level in this human experience, it's not like, oh, I chose to look like this. Yeah, I take care of myself and put on makeup and do my hair, but you know, we are who we are. And so I very much know how fortunate I am. So I'll say that. But to your point about the worth and the value, that's what stuck out to me. I was one of very few women in my career. You know, it's mostly men you're working with. And so I was always surrounded by men. And every boss I had was a man. And they constantly perpetuated this idea of you need to look a certain way, talk a certain way, interact a certain way in order to climb the ladder, to get guys to talk to you, to get the interview, all of those things. And I think that I chose this career so that I could learn this lesson. Because what happened is that my entire identity, all my worth and value was tied up in how I looked and if people liked me. And so I was obsessed with my wardrobe. I was obsessed with my hair and makeup. It was such a big deal because I felt like if one thing is off, everything's falling apart. And I'm a perfectionist and I want to be the best because I'm very competitive. And so it made it very tough to even see who I was. So one day I was at Dodger Stadium and I hosted the show down on the field, which was so cool. And I had a colleague named Oral Hershiser. So some of your listeners may know him. He's a legendary Dodger pitcher. And my mom worshipped him. So even better that this was who said this to me. But he kind of treated me like a niece. Like He really took good care of me. And he always gave it to me straight. And he said to me one day, he goes, Kelly, why are you wearing that dress? And I'm like, what do you mean? This is my favorite dress. This is Sunday best. It's a Sunday afternoon game. He just said, why are you wearing that dress? Mm. And didn't say anything else. And I'm like, okay, thanks for leaving me on a cliffhanger here. So I had to sit with that. And I sat with that for weeks. I'm like, what is he saying? What is he trying to say to me? I trust him. He loves me. What do I need to hear? And it finally clicked. I was like, why are you wearing this fucking dress? Like, what is the point? It was all to please everyone around me, Mm. to be the hot girl, to look good enough, to fit in, to get people to like my photo. I chopped off my hair. I chopped a foot of hair off. I got rid of all my clothes. And I don't think I lasted a year longer after that in television. I changed everything about myself because I realized that everything I was doing was just for validation. And it took someone to look at me and be like, yo, like shake me, wake up. Like you don't need to do this. There's more here. You have more worth and value. And I just started to look at the way I was living. I would be in bathrooms taking selfies for hours, trying to get the perfect angle and lighting so that people mm-hmm. would like this picture. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why aren't you focusing on your craft? Why aren't you focusing on taking care of yourself or asking yourself what you want? Like anything other than what you're wearing and how you look. And after that, I just started having hard conversations with myself about my own worth and value. Who am I? What do I want? Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I feel this deep need for attention? Why is that what is what makes me who I am? And I think that that's a huge reason why I left because he opened my eyes to my own bullshit. And I love the fact that he did not give you the answer. I'm learning from, actually, you told me they're friends of yours, some of the best coaches in the industry right now. And one thing I've learned is that, you know, coaches do not give the answers. They just ask great questions. And he knew the answer. He could have just come over, put his arm around you and said, okay, here's the deal. I've been observing you and I've got a little life lesson for you. And you would have taken it and it, it probably would have helped you a lot. But the fact that you were so confronted by it and you had no clue what he was even talking about to me shows it was so brilliant what he did because mm-hmm. you had to break through so much to dig and find that answer. And so that the discovery of that answer was so much more impactful for you. One, because you were in a sense numb and clueless to it. And two, that he didn't hand it to you. It's like yes. one of your angels tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, go over and say this. I just, I can picture it. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. And it it really, it started to shed a light on, okay, well, what am I good at? Like, what do I actually offer? And I started to look at my whole career. Like, I'm actually really good at what I do, but I don't give myself any credit for that because I think that I'm supposed to just fit in this box of being the hot chick on TV. So when I started to kind of peel back the layers, like, wow, I asked really good questions. I help people feel super comfortable. The most uncomfortable guys that, you know, athletes that I had to interview who would 
almost have panic attacks and feel a lot of social anxiety, I made them feel comfortable enough to sit down with me and have really heartfelt, honest conversations. That's a gift, but I just never looked at it. Even to gain the trust of these athletes who were so private, they would give me interviews. They wouldn't talk to anyone else because they trusted me. They knew I had their back. They knew that if they said something that was private, like that they're in the middle of a divorce and no one knows, or Mm -hmm. that their daughter has an eating disorder and they're crying in the clubhouse asking me what I think they should do because they don't have women in their life. Like those are moments that I didn't realize how powerful they were. And so I just started to see who I was as a person and my heart. Mm. I was like, wow, I actually offer a lot. It's not because I have nice legs or something. It's actually because I'm a really good person and I'm kind and I'm good at what I do. And that is what I want to focus my value on. Yeah. And you saw them. Here's my take on this as an outsider. So I'm in the stands right now. You're one of the athletes in this conversation. And what I'm thinking is they were able to see you, right? The way you were seeing them. So mm-hmm. you were not mesmerized, but oh, they're the athlete. They're so, no, you saw them as a human being, right? You, you saw that they were uncomfortable. You were able to tap into that, make them comfortable. And the hot girl, no, hot girls can do that, but you know what I'm saying? Just the hot girl could never have done that. And your whole identity that they gave you was so shallow. And these people, these human beings that trusted you did not see you as that. Somehow someone taught you to see you as that. But truly, right. people around you never really saw you as that. That's what I, my observation is that you have such this beautiful soul and you have this wisdom about you. And I told you that even through Instagram, I truly believe that everybody around you in that circle, whether they admitted it or not, they saw who you really were, but they needed to get something from you. And that beautifulness inside that wasn't going to get them what they needed, right? So they dismissed it and built up this fake version of you. Well, isn't it interesting? I'm glad we're talking about this. I haven't really talked about this before, but I wrote a book when I was like 25 about transitioning from being an athlete into being a normal person. And a lot of people don't realize that that's a really hard transition because you're literally losing everything you know about yourself. Because most athletes, especially if you go to a high level, this is all you've been doing from age five on. And so your entire identity is wrapped up into how you perform. And I correlate this with also being the hot chick, whether you're an athlete or you're the hot chick or you're the geek, however you're labeled or identified as a child, and you take that with you your whole life. The interesting thing is when I interviewed all of these former NFL athletes and pro bowlers and Olympians for my book, they all said the same thing. No one ever asked them what they like to do or what they were interested in, or what they were curious about. It was always about their sport. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, we're cultivating a society, especially on Instagram, making girls think that you have to be pretty enough to be Instagram worthy, but no one's asking them what books they like to read, or what are you curious about, or any questions on a deeper soul level so that we can really, to your point earlier, do this soul excavation of who are we? We just get put into these boxes and defined and given these labels. And so then we think, well, that's who I have to be forever. And that's part of the work I do. I talk to my girls all the time about getting outside of this box of toxic lies and rules and expectations that we have from a young age because there's so much more to us, but it takes someone or something being the catalyst to help us to see that, oh, it doesn't have to be like this. I don't have to just be that girl. I can actually be all of these other things. And I don't have to be defined by what someone else tells me I am. I get to choose. I get to be in choice for my own life. I get to be responsible for my experience. And that is what sets me free. Yes. And it feels like you're going to lose so much or you could miss out on so much. There's an old saying in network marketing. I told you I'm an old network marketer. It's actually a great, it's a great line. They have a lot of cheesy lines, but this is a good one. And it says, someone said, it was probably not created in the industry, by the way, but we used it all the time. You know, don't trip over millions to pick up pennies. And that's what just came to me as you were talking. I was picturing these young women tripping over millions to pick up pennies in their likes, in the comments on social media, when they're missing out on the wealth of what you're teaching, freedom, self-acceptance, full self-expression. You know, I have five kids, 22 to 16, and three girls. And I will tell you, oh God, Kelly, I mean, my girls aren't even as caught up as most young women are with all that truly 
and they're still caught up and they don't know it. And when I look, I told Julia, my middle one, she's 19. And I told her, observe this, Julia. When you and your friends post a picture, I don't care if you're standing in a, they'll stand by a cornfield in a bikini and it'll just say, wow, I'd like some corn. Yeah. Like, right. It's like, come on. What it is, is I think I look really good in this bathing suit. Do you agree? Will you please tell me, right? Love me. You get it, what it is. But here's the observation I made in the comments. It's not the men doing this to them. It's the girls. The girls are like, hot, hot flames. Oh, can't, whatever. I'm too old. I'm going to get my kids would laugh if they heard me say, I'm going to get all the lingo wrong, but what the fuck? It's like, you know, hot, oh, blah, 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 all these comments. And it doesn't matter what the picture is. They say the same thing. And they might say, I'm empowering women. I'm being supportive. And what they're doing is what people did to you right? They're polishing up and looking at this facade and not even allowing her to even consider showing who she really is. And so I refuse. Like I'll go on, I always support my girls on social media and I will always comment something other than how they look. I might say, you know, I love your style or you're so awesome or whatever, but I will not do that because that's all you see. But the guys, guys don't do that. It's all the girls. It's like a hundred comments of girls telling them that they're enough. So thank you, by the way. Well, thank you. I posted something the other day. It's not from me. Someone else. It was someone else's caption I reposted. I can't remember. But it was basically a love letter from her to other women. And she said, to all the women in my life that I have ever complimented your appearance before anything else, I am sorry. I saw you share that. I see your talent. I see your success. I see this, that, the other. And I was like, wow, yes. Because I do it too, because that's how we've been trained to live, right? Is like, oh my God, what a babe, you know? And I say that to my friends, but at the same time, yes, it's great to be attractive. Congratulations, you're pretty. And like, what else is there? What else do you offer? And the more we can see people, the more we see ourselves. And I think that's the missing piece. We're so scared to be seen. So we don't see anybody else. And so it's just this constant back and forth of trivial bullshit that doesn't matter. When we allow ourselves to be cracked open and to really be seen and see my heart and see my soul and see who I am under these layers of skin in this meat suit I chose, I will see you and then we can actually connect. And that is that soul connection. And I say this all the time. At the end of the day, I really believe we all want to be seen, held, and loved. 100%. And being seen does not mean someone thinks I'm hot. Being seen means being seen on a level at which there are no words. And that is what matters. Yes. And do you agree that if I really see you, Kelly, because I do see you, right? And... On top of that, I put some icing and go, you know what? I love the way you have your hair today. I really like the highlights in your hair. That's a beautiful truth. That's not the shit we're talking about. Like you said, where you're leading with that. Because I feel like I'm supposed to say that because I'm breaking a code if I don't. If I don't compliment you, that means I'm insecure. And that means I'm jealous of you because I have to make sure to tell you you look great. Because if I tell anyone, let alone a beautiful woman that she doesn't look great, what does that mean about me? Right? There's this all this stuff that we think about all the time without even thinking about it. And I agree with you that when you're able to see other people, you see yourself. But I'll I'll say this about you. When you go back to your example from earlier, I think it's interesting that you actually were able to see those men in the way that you were not seeing yourself and you weren't letting other people see you. You Mm -hmm. were ahead of the game. If you think about it, you weren't just saying, oh, I want to get that interview. Oh, yeah, well, he's great or he's hot or whatever and just keeping it superficial. You were meeting them human to human and I don't know if that was maybe a little bit of codependency or maybe that was some of your gifts just coming out early. It could have been both, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm an Enneagram too. So I'm a helper and savior for sure. And I think that in a room full of men with many of them having mommy issues and relational issues, I'm definitely really great in that area. Mm-hmm. So I think I was responding to that, but that's a I've never thought of that. So thank you for showing me that. That's really interesting to think about. I think I hid myself behind being a helper. And when I stopped doing that and I stopped trying to fix and rescue everyone, that's when I finally saw myself. Because I... I mean, I'm sure you feel this. We like output all this energy into everyone else and we don't give it to ourselves and we're just hiding behind it. And it's like, okay, well, what if you just take that and put it back into Mm -hmm. yourself? What what becomes available to you? Yeah. And part of your your helping also was looking a certain way. I'm going to really help them. Obviously, it wasn't conscious by 
pleasing them, being what they want to see. And so I'm a double good girl. Yes. Oh, yeah, I was the good girl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard you talking about that, that, you know, there's really no room for you to be anything else. You were talking about even in your, you know, you didn't do things you shouldn't have done when you were in middle school and high school, you were always walking the line. So it's interesting because now I see you, the term fully self-expressed is so overused, but I don't care. It's it's such a great term, you're fully self-expressed. I mean, you're still growing, obviously, but that had to have ruffled feathers, that had to have caused fallout. I'd love to chat about that. Like the people that poked at you, because you know this, I'm not teaching you something, but but just so the listeners can hear us talking about it, you know, as you express yourself as you, you know, as we say here, be you, people... I'm certain worth not just throwing rotten tomatoes at you. They were throwing shit sandwiches at you. They were heckling you while secretly admiring you and jealous and saying, Oh God, I wish I could do that. You know, did you have any friendships or anyone? Did that happen with anyone where they came back and apologized or said, Okay, I'm an ass because I really realized I was jealous of you? Yes. You did. That has been a common theme in my life, actually. I think that one of my greatest gifts is that I make people super uncomfortable and I call them out without calling them out. Um, I actually got this compliment. I'm in this mastermind with some incredible women. And they said this to me the other day. They were like, you force us to check ourselves just by the way you embody yourself Mm. and the way you show up. And I was like, damn, that's cool. I don't have to say anything. I think it's just the energy I bring forward. And so it has happened throughout childhood into high school, college. I have had most of the girls that were really, really mean to me. I had girls telling me to kill myself on the bus in high school. I had girls being really mean at a young age, not inviting me to parties and living next door and throwing it in my face and just a lot of stuff like that. And they've all come back and apologized. And they were jealous. And what I found out is that their parents were talking about me so often about, oh, Kelly this and Kelly that, and she did this and blah, blah, blah. And they felt like they weren't good enough. And so they lashed out at me. And I was like, God, that is so fucked up. Like, and my parents did the same thing. They pinned girls against me. And I was, you know, I did nothing wrong. The sun rose and set on my ass. And it's like, well, no, I had responsibility for a lot of things too. We were all catty little brats. And so we all were pinned against each other. And had so much insecurity and so much comparison. And of course, when you're a little girl and your parents are saying, well, this girl is better than you, that's how you're going to respond. We're not awake enough or self-aware enough to do anything otherwise. And so they came back and apologized, whether it was Facebook messages or emails. And I was like, wow. And it's happened with a lot of my listeners. So when I first started my show, I talked all about chronic illness and alternative medicine and healing and all the things. And then I got real sexy and started talking about threesomes and being with women and being bisexual and all the very touchy subjects that those people didn't sign up for. And many of them left. They didn't say like, I'm out of here. You're gross. They just didn't come back. And I've received a lot of messages in the last six months from those women. And they're like, Hey, here's what happened you took a turn and it made me super uncomfortable and I did not want to go there. And now I realize it's because I'm bisexual and I'm interested in women and I was not ready for that conversation. Yeah, I didn't want to go there because I want to yeah, go there. <laughs> exactly. Like, thank you so much. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, girl, I get it. Like, I became the woman I judged harshly my whole life. And so I understand. And I understand that when we judge, there's something for us to see. It doesn't mean that because you're judging me for being bisexual or whatever, that you are as well. It could be a lot of reasons, but there's a reason it's happening. And so I think we're all just mirrors and we're in constant relationship, whether we know it or not, with everyone around us. It's like, what do we get to see from that? And I am someone who loves to take radical responsibility and apologize when it's called for. And I really respect people who say, you triggered the shit out of me. You made me really uncomfortable. I judged you. I'm back and I'm very here for this. And I'm sorry for like sending that energy to you. I respect that so much. Mm -hmm. That takes a really strong, powerful person to own that shit and to speak it out loud. I think it's amazing. Yeah, I agree. And I would guess, I don't know if you agree, that a lot of people that felt itchy, you know, if you... Say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a little bit of a, 
slightly sharp left turn here. Yeah. The people that responded that way, you know, I bet for a lot of them, it actually had nothing to do with sexuality. I think it was just what you said before. It's the confrontation of a fully self-expressed woman scares the living fuck out of people. Right. And, and, and here I am. I've said my age like five times. I, I don't say it as if I think I'm old, but I'm saying it's taken me so long that just in the last six months coaching with Steph, just in the last six months, I'm like, I just did an episode the other day about how we respond to confident women. Yes. Right. And, you know, if we haven't found ourselves and truly done the work, right, or any work or really confronted that, you know, that we feel like instead of it being an embrace, it's a confrontation, just seeing the confidence. And then if you throw some icing on there that she happens to be six feet tall and she happens to be beautiful, fuck you. (laughs) It's like, you know, I don't want to hear you. I don't want to look at you. And I want to make sure my husband doesn't find your podcast and he doesn't see you because on top of that, she kisses girls. Now we have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Triple threat. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. And she likes sports. I mean, literally. I actually don't like sports. So you can cross that one off. (laughs) Oh, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Little known secret most people don't know about me. I don't like sports. I never liked sports. Not sure how I did. Well, she's job. hung with major athletes before. Yes, like you could just tell them I'm friends with Magic Johnson and like, see what happens. Just, yeah. So, so that I'm joking right now, but that's a real yeah. part of me. I'm like, totally. okay, that's too much. Right. Okay. If you say that you also don't care if this or that happens with your partner and you don't mind if he's messy, I will not be friends with you. Because you're a threat. But this is how we're programmed, right? Mm -hmm. So those girls next door, when you were talking about the comparison, it wasn't just what their parents were doing, but they are growing in this Petri dish of the rules we just talked about. They had no, they had really had no chance not to hate you. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I think this is what being with women has taught me. So I've always compared myself to other women. I've never felt good enough. Her, bo- her boobs are bigger. Her ass is nicer. She's more tan. She's more successful. She has a better purse. Like you name it. I've before you move it. on, I'm going to interrupt, which I know is rude, but I'm good. The reason I'm interrupting is I want everyone to pause and hear what she just said. Remember what I told you she looks like. And I'm saying that not to be funny or not to compliment you. You were comparing yourself to other women and you're like how everyone, most people want to look. That's how screwed up this shit is. Right. If all of a sudden I woke up tomorrow and I looked like you, I would think, okay, well, then that's it. That's it. And you're saying, no, it's not it. So you were comparing even your physical appearance to people. That's oh my crazy. God. Oh, yeah. to me. I mean, I had an eating disorder because I, I was comparing myself. Oh my gosh. Because when you're a competitive athlete and you're an overachiever and a perfectionist and a control freak, it, nothing is ever good enough. I could have won a gold medal at the Olympics for volleyball and been a straight A student and been the top athlete in the country and had the best boyfriend in the world. And I never would have felt like it was good enough. Like sat down with a one-on-one with Magic Johnson at his request, turning down every man that worked at my station and 26-year-old Kelly got to do the thing. And the next day it was like, okay, now what do I do? That wasn't enough, right? And so it's always something. And that's what I was actually, I'm glad you said that because that was the point I was going to make is if I am someone who is attractive and successful, runs a company and has a really healthy relationship and is a dog mom and all the things that you know people look to as successful, whatever. And I am perpetuating this idea that I'm not good enough. And you look at me or a 20-year-old girl looks at me and says, well, why do I even try? I don't look like her. I don't run a company like she does. I don't have a house that she has. I'm not good enough. What in the fuck am I teaching other people? I was on a call with someone who's in my mastermind and I love her so much. And I actually, I called her out in a very loving way because she didn't even realize what she was doing. We were talking about making money and she has a bunch of companies that she has started that are multi-million dollar companies. I do not have that. And I wasn't comparing myself in that moment until she started talking. And she said, well, my company doesn't make $10 million. It only makes $2 million. And I said to this person, I was like, can I just pause you for a second? I said, I just want you to know what you're telling me right now and teaching me. You're showing me that my business isn't good enough because I don't even make $2 million a year in my business. So if I don't even make $2 million and you're saying that, well, you're supposed to make $10 million to be good enough... What is that showing me? Like, what are you teaching me right now? Yeah. She's like, fuck. 
She's like, well, that's not what I'm saying. I said, I know, I'm, I know you're not trying to say that, but that's what we do. If I'm like, oh, well, my legs are too fat and I'm not skinny enough and my hair doesn't look this way, or I'm insecure because I have melasma on my upper lip because of the sun and, or I have hair growing on my face and that makes me disgusting. Then what are we teaching every other woman who also is a human and we all have normal things going on with our bodies? It's the same stuff, but we learn and we're not even conscious of the way we compare ourselves all the time. And you look at these young girls growing up and boys too. And they learn it from their parents. It's like all these little girls with eating disorders who are listening to their moms every day talk about how fat they are when they're probably a size four. Well, what are you saying then? You know, and so I, I really believe I don't want to compare myself and I really try and catch myself if I get into that kind of rabbit hole spiral where it's like, no, we're not doing that. And that's what I have learned in being with other women is I remember the first time I had this awareness. I was looking at this girl that I was in a sexual relationship with. And I was like, wow, she's so perfect. And then I was like, huh, I've never thought about myself like that. Why is it that I'm seeing this girl fully naked and raw and vulnerable in a really intense situation and just open to it? And I'm looking at her thinking, you're so beautiful, but not just on the outside. I love your personality. I love laughing with you. I love the way you hold me. I love the conversations we have, the depth of your heart, like all these things. And I can't even see myself in that way. And so what I opened up for me in that moment was starting to see myself in that way. If I can see perfection and beauty and grace and honesty and all these things in other women, I get to acknowledge that within myself. And it totally transformed my world. What do you think about this? I just was thinking as you were talking, and I don't know that this is right. I'm just going to say it because it came to me as you were talking. You know, the, the line of, and I've said this before, What you spot it, you got it. Like, if I see you, beauty in you, clearly, that means there's beauty in me, right? But when you were just talking, I found it really interesting because I thought there might be a little spin to this. I've never had this thought before. Hopefully, I don't lose it. <laughs> but the thought while you were talking was, as you're looking at that partner you had and you were talking about, you know, she's just so perfect and, and you're saying, but I don't think that way of myself. I was thinking, I wonder if the whole theory of, well, the only reason you could see it is because you see it in yourself and you just dispelled that. And I'm like, no, what if there's this other left turn? And that is that when you saw her and you observed that it was a more of an, she's on a pedestal. It's the perfection. It's the, I need to be that. I'm not that. And if you learn to love yourself for who you are, maybe you would have even seen her in a more beautiful way. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like, not just, I love her, I love this about her, but maybe, did you find, I mean, I don't know if you stayed in that relationship long enough to love yourself enough to go, oh, wait a minute. Is that making sense what I'm, what I'm saying? It is. I, I know what you're getting at. I think for me, it was like, she was a perfect mirror back at me because, I mean, no one's perfect, right? So... I think to me, it was like, you have to look a certain way and be a certain way in order to be good enough. And what I saw was that I loved all her quirks. I loved, Got that, it. you know, I loved, she has cellulite and she had, you know, when she got in a certain position, like she had a roll of skin, like all these things that we think are so awful. Yes. And I'm sitting there thinking, God, she looks so beautiful like this. I'm mm. like, like, what is the difference? And I was like, oh, there's no difference because we are all the same. Like, yes. Okay. Feminine energy is all the same to me in my experience. And so in acknowledging her, it was just mirroring back all of that to myself. And it allowed me to love myself more because I realized none of us are perfect and we are perfect in that. Mm, I love it. Yes. I wasn't tracking with you, but I totally get that. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And, I, and it makes me think too of, you know, whoever your partner is you're saying to that man, that woman, that husband, that boyfriend, that girlfriend, whatever, oh, I wish I looked this way. I wish I looked that way. And that person actually is seeing you the way you, right? They, they actually see that that's beautiful in you. And I'm going through that right now. I'm having some major health issues that we're pretty sure are tied to my breast implants that I've had for 26 years. Long story. Mm -hmm. Like I've always been very tiny. I've gained 36 pounds in a year and a half. I'm having all kinds of issues that are similar to what you described, which I know are linked not just to the implants. I'm positive. But my point is, I don't recognize my body anymore. I don't recognize what I look like. I, I've never broken out before. I've never 
not felt super confident in my skin, not in the best way, but I mean physically. Right. And here I am with my own husband, like not wanting to get out of the shower and have him see me. And he's trying to say to me what you just said, Kelly. And he's not saying it to be kind. I mean, he is the sweetest guy, but he, he means it. He said, Jill, I don't see you that way. Like, I know you are bigger. You are thicker. You do have roles. You, and I love it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. And I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm not there yet. I, I wish I could say to you. And then I had this major awakening of self-acceptance and I walked around. No. I'm still hiding because I'm, you know, I'm learning. But I think a lot of women find themselves in those situations where they're thinking someone is seeing their flaws because that's all they're seeing. Well, and I think this takes me to a conversation about the lens through which we see the world. And I had to call myself on this. Well, my therapist called me on this, but <laughs> we called me out together. <laughs> so I have like, I have dealt with a lot of deep core wounds around abandonment. And that within the not good enough, not lovable, blah, blah, blah. And I had a situation with my dad at the end of last year. And it triggered all of my abandonment wounds. And all I could see in this whole thing was that I was not good enough to be chosen, that he chose something else, that I was being left behind. And so every time I went through this experience, that is the lens at which I used to look at it. And then one day, I just had this aha moment. And I thought, well, what if I chose a different lens? And I did. I chose the lens of he's on his path. I'm on my path. This has nothing to do with me. And I freed myself from my own bullshit narrative. Yeah. And that is why I believe and teach so much about being in choice and creating your reality. We see what we want to see to confirm our own bias and make ourselves right. I am not lovable and I will be abandoned and left. So I continually see that in the world and create situations where that happens. If I choose a different lens, I will no longer create those situations and I will no longer see the world in that way. And then I no longer have those experiences, which means that if someone leaves me, I don't view it as abandonment. It's a choice and we move on because I cannot be abandoned if I do not abandon myself. Amen. And like with the situation with your dad, and this is not like the whole spiritual bias bypassing where it's, oh, it happened for a reason. And I totally hear you and empathize with whatever that situation was and acknowledge that. And I also want to say what I know that you already know is true, that anyone listening who has a situation with anyone in their life where they feel, you know, that abandonment or whatever it is, if that person did anything different than that, you wouldn't have learned that lesson that you can now apply to every part of your life. It's just so beautiful, Kelly, that now because you decided to get that lesson, you're applying it everywhere and then you're teaching other people that same lesson. Totally. And if, if that hadn't happened with your dad, right, and it had been rainbows and butterflies, you never would have figured that out. Yes. And that was the wound that kept coming up with my fiance and I. I kept being like, you're going to leave me. I'm not good enough. And that was, you know, when we had another woman in, in situations, I was like, you're going to leave me for her. And that's all I could see. I couldn't see my own pleasure. I couldn't see how much I loved it. I couldn't see nothing. All I saw was, I'm not good enough. You're going to leave me. And so now that's not a thing that really comes up. I'm like, oh, well, if you leave me, then you're going to leave me. Whether we're doing this thing or not, you are in choice. You're a damn adult. Like, do you? I could leave you too, you know? And so it just, it frees us from these constant narratives that we don't have to live in. We are sovereign beings who get to make choices in our lives. What you do is not a reflection of me being bad or wrong. Your choice. And that's okay. And I think that we, we like to stay in these cycles because they're comfortable and it's what we know. And it is at the point, at which we come to, I get to take responsibility for my life and I get to choose that we then to get to create our new reality. And we get to start from scratch. If you started today and didn't live by these old beliefs that your parents gave to you, your teachers gave to you, whoever, how would you view the world? How free would you feel to create whatever it is you want without all these attachments to fear and beliefs that really aren't yours? You were just given. Yeah. So what about when you had that shift. You know, you went from the career had to I'm choosing myself and express myself. I'm more than this. I'm starting the podcast. When did the spiritual part start? Like this this whole spiritual shift awakening because I I've heard you talk enough to know that I bet you didn't think that way before. 
you know? So tell us about that because many people listening, and I don't want to put a label on everyone listening to this podcast because you know I'm new at this. I don't know who all these people are, but I know that there are a lot of people in the world who feel the same way about faith and spirituality that you just described that most women feel about sexuality, beauty, roles, all of that. And they feel like they're in a cage and they are afraid to break free and they don't want to be judged. But the truth is, it's the whole, I secretly want to kiss a girl, but we're talking about religion and spirituality. It's the same thing. So here you are again, this bold ball of truth, right? So you're like this, here's how I describe you. You're like this ball of lavender, right? But you've got this secret like punch too, you know, because you are so soothing to be around, but I feel this power from you, this unapologetic power that you said you've had your whole life. I'm certain without even knowing you that as you leveled up and as you shifted, it's gotten more and more powerful. So how did that happen with spirituality? And go ahead and share with people, you know, your beliefs before your beliefs now. And if it triggers people, great. Yeah. I mean, I was just a victim my whole life. And I, I kind of mentioned this earlier, my parents would always just blame everyone else and I could do no wrong. And so it was everyone against me. And I didn't, I mean, I was raised Catholic, but I didn't really buy into that. It seemed weird to me even then. I think my religion was volleyball, to be honest. That's all I did, um, volleyball in school. And I dated someone when I was 21 who was a Reiki healer, and he was my first introduction into spirituality. I didn't really understand it. All I knew is that I felt better after he worked on me. And I'm like, okay, there's something to this. There's something stuck in me. I don't know, but I feel better. And so after him, I would say it took me a while to really start diving in, but podcasts were really my introduction. I listened to lots of podcasts, especially being sick with chronic illness and started seeing the correlation between health issues and trauma, which led me deeper into plant medicine and like, what is that? And how do you heal? And what is a shaman? And all of that kind of stuff. And then when I found my functional medicine doctor and then my Ayurvedic doctor, they really catapulted my spiritual experience because they they really helped me see that so much of what I was physically manifesting was from traumatic experiences in this life, past lives, stress, anxiety, things that I had just brought in. Part of the lessons I was meant to learn my functional medicine doctor, Dr. Lekos, is everything to me. He saved my life. First time I met him, he said, so I'm going to send you this shaman. And I was like, okie dokie. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went and saw my Ayurvedic doctor. And I think my second Panchakarma with her in LA, her name is Marta Sofer. She runs Surya Spa in LA. She said, okay, I recommend ayahuasca and combo. And I didn't know anything about either of them, but I knew that both of these people were helping me feel better. And I was finally at a place where I was like, well, I've reached my breaking point, you know, 14, 15 years into this thing, something has to change. And so it was at that time that I went into plant medicine. And right before that, I actually had an abortion before my first ayahuasca retreat, like two months prior, I had an abortion and my relationship blew up and it was a whole thing. And I remember that really being the catalyst for me. I had kind of been on this path and then that happened and it was like, you need to wake up and everything shifted after that. And so I went into plant medicine. I met my now fiance right after that and everything changed. And so I think it was it was kind of a slow roll. I was definitely a skeptic. A lot of things sound crazy to me. Things still sound crazy to me. And I'm very picky about who I trust and who I work with and what I talk about. But yeah, that's kind of been the journey of of getting to this point. Okay, believe it or not, there are a lot of people that don't even know what the hell plant medicine is. Yes. And guess what? Guess when I figured out what it was? When? Six months ago. I love it. No clue. That's no great. clue. I'm like, oh, it's some sort of natural herb. Ayahuasca. And then the other thing you said was combo. Tell people really quick, just like, I mean, you don't have to go into a big educational jaunt, but I, I'm sure it's interesting to you to talk about like, what is it? And I know a lot of people are very afraid of it. Yes, totally. And I understand. And it can be abused and it's being very abused because it's becoming more Western and we're taking it out of the Amazon and it's getting in the wrong hands and people are having really bad experiences with it. So I will say, I understand why you have those feelings. What I will say is that the origins of plant medicine 
specifically ayahuasca and things like combo, which is the venom on the from the back of a frog, are used in ancient traditions in the Amazon. So specifically in Peru, Costa Rica is huge. Uh, there are parts of Mexico. They have been using this tradition for hundreds, if not thousands of years. The healers that use them, they start working with the plants and with this medicine starting at like 13 years old. They spend years living in the jungle, only working with the plants. They learn the songs of the plants. They learn how to create the medicine. This is really ancient wisdom. Unfortunately, it's getting in the hands of westernized culture and being used to make money, which takes it out of integrity. And ayahuasca is a blend of a few different things, and you can consider it a psychedelic, right? So you go in and in a a proper ceremony that is in integrity, you're sitting with shamans or healers, they call them maestros and maestras in Peru. And you sit with them and they facilitate the ceremony and give you the medicine and you are able to see a lot of different things. It's incredibly helpful for PTSD, trauma, uh, anxiety, all of that kind of stuff. And you can see past life stuff. You can see things that happen in this life. You can have ecstatic experiences, orgasmic experiences. I mean, like you name it, you can have that experience. It is very intense. The integration takes a long time, but it really, it's like years of therapy in a weekend. So it's incredibly transformative. Now, combo is different. It's the venom from the frog. They burn some points into your body. They put the venom in. It goes into your bloodstream and it's a purgative. So you can throw up or go to the bathroom. It lasts about 40 minutes. It's very intense. You get like this blacking out effect and you can see things. You can feel like you're talking to God. You can also just have a physical release. It's meant to get all the toxins out of your body. Any trauma that's stored, um, it's incredibly cleansing. The integration from that is much shorter because it's just like a faster experience. And then psilocybin, I also would say plant medicine is something that I also do quite a bit and microdose. And that is almost like a, I consider it like a mini ayahuasca ceremony. It doesn't last as long. And it can be intense, but it just depends on how much you're taking and what the setting is and who's facilitating and all of those kinds of things. But for me, at the end of the day, plant medicine has really kind of pulled the puzzle pieces in together. So things that, you know, in your life that don't make sense, it helps give you more clarity. It helps you see yourself more clearly. And it also helps get rid of the bullshit and the doubt and the narratives that are not yours. And it helps you see through all of these layers and veils. And the point for me, at least, is to really just come back to myself and my inner knowing, because I don't want to rely on a guru to tell me how to live my life. Plant medicine, be, it, it forces you to be your own guru, to rely on yourself, to create that self-trust. Mm. And I know there are people like with anything who think that that's just like sometimes CrossFitters. It's like, that's the answer. You just have to do all these ayahuasca ceremonies. I'm like, look, I respect that you do it. And I'm not saying I'll never do it one day, but I'm pretty damn sure that life is bigger than just that. Like you can't do nothing. It's like smoking cigarettes and eating shit and then doing CrossFit and thinking that that means you're fit, right? I, I have met people who who really walk that. And I think that's what gives it some of the stigma, right? Because people see that contradiction. But I'm glad you mentioned it because it is something that, I hear people I admire mention, but I'm just not in a place where I really want to even dig there yet. I have so much trauma I'm still working through and I'm I'm listening to my body, which is interesting because that's what one of your biggest lessons, right? Is to really mm-hmm. honor yourself. And my body is telling me don't even think about going there yet. You know? Yeah. And and I think Connor's perspective is he's very skeptical and he likes to kind of see through the bullshit and he's seen plant medicine gone wrong and people using it for a lot of manipulation and spiritual hierarchy. And that's very prevalent now. And you can get addicted to ceremony. You can get addicted to disassociating from your body or living in the ethereal and not having having to human. Humaning is hard. I think we can all agree on that. It's not like this super easy thing that we just like, la-di-da. So when you live in the ethereal and you go do plant medicine all the time, you can kind of eject out of this experience in the 3D and go somewhere else. Well, that is an addiction because we came here to be human, to have this experience. Yes, we are souls having a human experience, but it is meant to integrate. We're not meant to live in the clouds. 
And I think that's where people get lost. And I got lost early on. I was like, oh, I'm going to do this all the time. And it's like, well, you're not getting the point. And so I think it's really to be in integrity, to work with the right people, to feel called to the experience, and to also remember that we're here to have a human experience, to have fun, to play. One of the best pieces of advice I got was in my first ayahuasca weekend. And the facilitator said, I just want you guys to be aware that I'm so happy you're here and this is all well and good, but the real ceremony is life Mm. when you walk out these doors. It is not about this. And I was like, thank you. I'm a fan. Yes. Yes. So glad they said that. So before we finish, um, if you don't mind, I would just love you to reiterate the whole being versus doing. I've heard you talk about it. It's so where I am as well. But just sharing, how did you get to that point? I mean, I, I heard one of your episodes where you're like, I canceled, you had like a program or something going and you just stopped. And I just, I think I just posted yesterday a little letter to myself where it's like resting is not failing and going slow is not, I mean, it's just, we just don't talk about this enough, especially with the people pleasing perfectionism that women tend to ingest every five minutes. So when did that happen and how are you living that way? Because you're still finding and attracting success and love and and probably even more than ever. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely always a work in progress for me. I slip back into doing often because it's just what I know best. And I'm able to see it now. I think that with all of the work that I've done, I have awarenesses and the ability to see from above. I kind of have a bird's eye view of what I'm doing on a daily basis. And I can watch myself in my operating systems. And I can see like, oh, you're slipping back into that pattern. Oh, this feels aligned. Oh, your body is saying no, but you're saying yes. What's going on? And so I've just been able to really get in tune with myself on a more deep level and call myself out when something is not working. And I'm coming off of not really working for the last month. I went to Tulum for nine days with seven of my closest friends and then came home for a week and then left and went to Hawaii with my fiance and my brother and his girlfriend for nine days. And my computer crashed. I was without it for two weeks. Every podcast that I had coordinated was canceled by other people. Tech issues, no shows. I mean, six interviews in a week. That's never happened in three years. And every time I tried to go do something, something happened. And so I was just like, I don't think I'm supposed to be working right now. Something else is coming through. So I've canceled programs, canceled one-on-one, canceled podcast stuff. And so much has come through. And it for me, it's really just about a daily practice of looking at what I'm doing and the intention that I have. Am I posting this picture to get validation? Or am I posting this because it feels really good and I want to share this? Am I taking this meeting because I think I have to because this client is going to make or break me? Or am I taking this client because I feel expansive and abundant and I would love to support this person? Those are the questions I ask myself. And when I find myself out of alignment and I have anxiety in my chest and I'm getting uncomfortable and I'm like, this doesn't feel good, I take a pause and I ask myself, why are you doing this? And it's really helped keep me in check and allowed me to create more space for myself. So my mornings are very slow. I don't work usually before 10 a.m. I spend time with the dogs. I go work out. I cook. I just I don't fill up my calendar back to back. I make sure I'm eating. And I'm so much happier. And it's a much slower pace. But honestly, I feel like I live four days in a day now because I just have so much time that I am actually incredibly productive but I'm not running myself into the ground. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting. And there are women listening, I know, that are like, okay, must be nice. Bitch, please. I have to get up at 7 a.m. I have four kids. I got to go to work. I'm a nurse. And I know you're not saying that it's not because of the success you've created because you could still have that flow and that energy and the being instead of the doing in any life. You can be a busy single mom who's a nurse with five kids and still not be spending your time digesting in social media, scrolling social media, watching TV, keeping up with the Joneses, doing things that aren't serving you, right? I mean, that you could still have that energy that Kelly's talking about, you know, in any life you have. And in my opinion, and in my experience, Kelly doesn't know my story, but in the past three years, when I did that, I attracted so much abundance with ease. 
and so much joy that it wasn't even accessible to me. But nothing in my circumstances had changed. Right. Right. And it's yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been such a beautiful conversation. I so I appreciate love you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. So will you share with them? I know they're going to want to find you. And I know you do you do so many things. You have your membership. Just tell them all about, you know, how they could plug into you if they would like. Yeah. So if you go to kellytenon.com, you can see all of the different offerings we have. I have a monthly community where I facilitate circle. I bring in different healers um, to work with the group. I, we have playlists. I do journal prompts. I do extended solo episodes for all of those women. It's really, really powerful and reminds us the power of women gathering together. And then I have a workshop that's recorded. So you can do it at any time. It's called Unleash Your Goddess. And it's really just getting in tune with your desires and setting yourself free. Yeah. So there's a few different things on there, but I'm happy to support in any way. And my show is The Kelly Show. You can find me on Instagram at Kelly M. Tennant. I am in the DMs, like I said earlier. So if you And have it's any Kelly with an I. Kelly with an I. Kelly with an I. <laughs> oh, thank you again so much. Look forward to getting to know you better. Yes, you too. <laughs> 